Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 81. Thanks for listening. Hello again, everybody. Hope your week has been marvelous. We're recording today late on a Sunday evening. My usual time slot for recording on Sundays was taken up earlier in the day with my other show. That's right, it's a two-show recording day for me. And as I said, we're recording late in the evening. I have a glass of wine. Who knows what might happen? In news this week, we got eh, not so much news. We got a little bit of feedback about Crystal Castles from a couple weeks ago. Tech Trainer Tim on Twitter commented that the control on that arcade game has always been way too twitchy for me. Can never get used to it. I think this kind of relates to a point I was making about the, um, let's just say, frustration I was having with Crystal Castles because it didn't seem I could get anywhere in the uh, you know, in the Atari version that I was playing. Uh, I never played, that I can recall, Crystal Castles in the arcade, so I can't really speak to how the controls were for that, but having played the Atari version, I can totally sympathize. I also heard from Sean of Pie Factory fame. Hi, Sean. Sean writes, To be honest, I think most people do love Crystal Castles, but the arcade game. Some people hate the 2600 version, but I love it personally. By I, he means himself, Sean, because I, Bill, do not love the Atari version. But let's let Sean have his say. But yeah, he says, try the arcade version. It's a trackball game, which does make all the difference. I checked our uh, oracade.com for locations in Iowa, but nothing in Iowa is listed on that site. In fact, the game is so popular that there are are many people who think Atari missed a great marketing opportunity by not making Bentley Atari's official mascot. Hmm, I am dubious, Sean. One other instance of Bentley worth mentioning. The recently released Atari 7800 homebrew platformer, Crystal Quest, featuring Bentley Bear, which is getting rave reviews, and was pretty popular at Midwest Gaming Classic when we had it out for demo. You know what, I'm going to take your word for it, Sean. I never played Crystal Castles, as I said, in the arcade. I have no doubt it was a much better playing experience. I also can see where maybe playing it on the Atari with a trackball, I don't even know if that's possible, but I can see where having a trackball would help tremendously. I do know that I need to give Crystal Castles a bit more of a chance, and as time permits, I will go back and play it again. I don't hate Bentley Bear. He's cute and everything. Uh, you know, I love wildlife. I just did not love this game. Sean does have comments also about my brief discussion of time travel in the episode. I commented that, and I realized later that I didn't necessarily do a great job of citing this, providing a citation for this, but it was an article that I had read on the internet about how the scientists, mathematicians, have figured out on paper how mathematically time travel would be possible. I don't know if this was the same article I was looking at last week, but there is an article called Time Travel is Mathematically Possible with New Mind-Boggling Model from Newsweek, posted back in May. 
Mathematician Ben Tippett at the University of British Columbia, Canada, believes that time should not be separated from other three spatial dimensions. All four run together simultaneously. Working with David Sang, an astrophysicist from the University of Maryland, he's worked out a way to use the principle to make to use this principle to make time travel possible. Their findings have now been published in the journal Classical and Quantum Gravity. He's quoted as saying, people think of time travel as something fictional, and we tend to think it's not possible because we don't actually do it. But mathematically, it is possible. In general relativity, the curvature of space-time causes gravity by exerting a force on objects passing them. These curves cause planets to orbit stars. If space-time was not curved, all the planets and stars would travel along straight lines. So if space-time is curved and we run time along it simultaneously, then theoretically, the bend can be turned into a loop, making time travel possible. Uh, they quote him again as saying, Since the 1950s, there have been many other proposals for space-times which allow people to travel backward in time. My work was to model a time machine where passengers inside of a box of limited size could travel along a circle through space and time, returning to their own pasts. The shape of space-time was used to turn the direction of the arrow of time inside of the box in space and time. I then used Einstein's theory to analyze this strange space-time and determine what would be required to build such a thing. He calls this machine, and I love this part, he calls it a TARDIS, as in Doctor Who TARDIS. Now, on Doctor Who, TARDIS stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space. Dr. Tippett's TARDIS stands for Traversable A-Causal Retrograde Domain in Space-Time, but I still love that he's calling it a TARDIS. The article goes on to explain how this model works, but the point is, the scientists are theorizing that as a mathematical concept, yeah, it is possible. So, Sean says, regarding time travel, Cecil Adams, the columnist behind The Straight Dope, whose articles I've sent you before, once answered the, is time travel possible question. He said, probably not. If for no other reason than if time travel were possible, we probably would already know it from other time travelers. But then he wonders, why would anybody want to time travel to our time anyway? And this was in the 80s, I think. Yeah, th those are all good points, of course. It does seem like if time travel was possible, we'd be meeting time travelers all the time. They'd be guests on the Colbert, uh, you know, late night talk shows with Colbert, and you know, would have reality shows on, uh, you know, on the uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel or something. I, I don't know. I just uh, I'm a Doctor Who fan, so time travel is interesting to me. I'm not an astrophysicist or a mathematician, but in my own head. I can see how, if time travel is possible, I can see how going into your past would be possible because it's already happened. It is, in a sense, already a thing. If you think of each moment in time as a thing that's created and just kind of hangs out in that spot where it's created. I have, if I'm really trying to think whether time travel is possible and not just a fantasy concept for a TV show or a movie, I have a harder time thinking that you could travel forward in time because forward hasn't happened yet. There's nowhere to go, in a sense. So in my own head, that's how I look at it when I actually really think about whether time travel is possible or not. But again, I'm not a physicist or a mathematician. But if you have any thoughts about time travel, I would be happy to hear them. So thanks for writing in, Sean. I appreciate it. Uh, and I think that is our feedback for this week. So why don't we move on to this week's game? This week's game is... It isn't termites. It isn't mice. It's Atari's Dig Dug, the earth-shattering arcade game. Dig Dug digs his own mazes. He digs for balloon men. He digs for dragons. 
And now he's digging his way into homes everywhere. Dig Dug is under this world. Dig Dug from Namco, 1982. The Atari port, I believe, came out in 83. Most of you probably know about Dig Dug already. I'll kind of briefly go through what it is for the limited number of you who don't know about Dig Dug. Uh, The manual tells us that this is the underground smash arcade hit. The manual right off the bat tells us to always remember to turn the power switch off when inserting or removing an Atari game program cartridge. So, you know, you, you you bastards who are not turning the console off before you take out your cartridges, well, you're just evil. Game objective and notes from the underground. You are Dig Dug, the underground miner. With your jet-powered shovel, you create intricate subterranean mazes. Ever on the watch for vegetable prizes, you must also look out for the fierce Figar and mean Puka that lurk underground. Their touch kills. Worse, these two meanies can transform into spooky ghosts that will appear out of nowhere and haunt you to death. Use your joystick controller to dig through the earth in this one-player game. Your objective... Destroy the meanies who lurk below and uproot the prized produce. Destroy meanies by using the fire button on your controller to pump them up until they burst, or by dropping boulders on them. That's not disturbing at all. To get the valuable vegetable, dig to it as soon as it appears and cover it completely by moving Dig Dug over it. Each round is completed when you destroy all the meanies or when the last one escapes. The game ends when you lose all your lives, which is pretty much how everybody's game ends, I guess. Gameplay. Create your own tunnels and escape routes as you carve your way through the earth. You dig in the same direction as you move your joystick. I'm not sure why you need an escape route. You don't really escape. The level's going to end either because you're dead, or because you killed all the bad guys, or because they got away. You don't really need to escape. Anyway, the minions who chase you are the fire-breathing Phygar, whose flames uh, fry you, uh, which I don't think is technically accurate. I think maybe the flames uh, grill you, or toast you, or sear you, but I don't think frying is, a, is accurate. I think if you were, uh, you know, coated in batter and dunked in boiling a pot of oil, then you'd be fried. Anyway, to blow up a mini, press the red fire button on your joystick once or twice to stun the creature. Then continue pressing the button to pump up the mini until it bursts. Pump up the mini, pump it up. Pump it up. I'm kind of in a musical mood tonight, apparently. It must be the wine. To drop a rock, dig under the rock, then move away fast. The falling earth will, the falling rock will crush any close pursuing meanies that it touches. It can crush you too if you don't get out of the way. When only one meanie is left, you will always try to escape, thus ending that round of the game. The underground mine is composed of four layers of dirt. You receive more points for blowing up meanies in the bottom layers than in the topsoil. A high-scoring prize, which is usually a vegetable, appears once per round on the same spot where you started digging. It appears for only a few seconds, and you must get Dig Dug to completely cover the prize to score big points, so keep your eyes open and watch for it. You start the game with five lives. Remaining lives are displayed as squares at the lower left side of the screen. You can also earn bonus lives. You win your first bonus life at 20,000 points. After that, a bonus life is won at every multiple of 50,000 points up to 200,000. The maximum number of lives you can have at any one time is 8. Periodically, the game action speeds up, the musical tempo increases, the meanies move more quickly, and turn into ghosts more often than usual. To keep the challenge high, you can restart a game at the same round you last played after you lose all of your lives. To do this, simply press the red fire button on your controller after a game ends and while the life dig dug, while the title dig dug appears on the screen. Hmm. 
I didn't realize that when I was doing the field report earlier. That's very interesting. The fire button, as I said, starts the game. It restarts the game as long as you uh, do so approximately 10 seconds after losing your last Dig Dug life. During the game, you press the button once or twice to stun the meanies, then hold the button down or use multiple pumping action to pump up meanies until they explode. There are two game variations, easy and normal. In the easy variation, there is only one pattern of tunnels, rocks, and meanies. Each round is identical to the previous round, with only two meanies per round. The meanies never speed up, and they never turn into ghosts. Uh, the prize is always uh, worth 400 points. A teddy bear head, which I like to think of as the, uh, you know, the disembodied head of Bentley Bear. Sorry, I'm still a little uh, annoyed by Crystal Castles. This teddy bear head indicates gameplay, easy gameplay, and appears at the top score in the top score digit throughout easy play. The normal variation, the pattern of tunnels, rocks, and meanies varies from round to round. Puka and Figar frequently turn into ghosts, and the game action periodically speeds up. In higher rounds, as many as seven meanies can be on the screen at once. The prize changes and increases in value with higher rounds. Uh, so you get, there you go. That's basically all they have for directions. Uh, and you really don't need much more than that. It's a pretty straightforward game. Dig Dug, of course, originally was an arcade game developed and published by Namco in Japan in 1982. It runs on Namco Galaga hardware and was published outside Japan by Atari Inc. Atari also obtained the license for home ver uh, versions of Dig Dug and released it for the Atari 2600, 5200, 7800, and television, Apple II, Atari 8-bit family, VIC-20, Commodore 64, IBM PC, and TI-99. Namco ported Dig Dug to the Nintendo family computer in 1985. It was uh, composed by Yuriko Kaino, uh, released in Japan on April 19, 1982, and in North America May 1, 1982. It was available as an upright, a cabaret, and a cocktail table, and Gakken made a tabletop handheld game of Dig Dug in 1982. It was one of a series of three flip-top games with VFD screen and magnifying Fresnel lens. Although Namco has officially given the character of the original Dig Dug the name Dig Dug, in other games where he makes an appearance, the protagonist goes by the name Taizo Hori, or as you would say in Japanese order, Hori Taizo, and is the father of Susumu Hori, the main character in the Mr. Driller series. He's also the ex-husband of Toby Kissy Masuyo, the heroine of Beriduk. His name is a pun on the Japanese phrase Horitaizo, or I want to dig. A similar pun might be rendered in English as Will Dig or Wanda Want To Dig. His real name was revealed outside Japan in the Nintendo DS game Mr. Driller Drill Spirits, where he is also a playable character. The, the game was rated the sixth most popular coin-operated video game of all time by the Killer List of Video Games website. In 1984, Softline readers named computer versions of Dig Dug the tenth worst Apple and fourth worst Atari program of 1983. So, apparently, love the arcade version, not so much the Atari version. Some bootleg arcade versions of Dig Dug were made under the name Zigzag. One version looked exactly like the original, and the other changed both the sounds and colors, as well as adding a pickaxe power-up that made the player move faster. Game Boy released a version in 1992. A 1985 sequel, the overhead view-oriented Dig Dug 2, met with less success in the arcades. Mr. Driller, 1999, was originally conceived as a sequel with the working title Dig Dug 3, but it developed into a distinct but related series. Another sequel, Dig Dug Digging Strike, was released in 2005 for the Nintendo DS. This combined the side view play in the original with the overhead play of the sequel and added a narrative link to the Mr. Driller series. A 3D remake of the original entitled Dig Dug Deeper 
was released for PC in 2001 by InfoGames. That sounds kind of interesting. I'm curious to see that. The original Dig Dug was released for Xbox 360 console via Xbox Live Arcade on October 11, 2006, and is also available to play via the GameTap subscription gaming service. You could also get it on the Wii Virtual Console in 2008, in North America in, uh, in June 2008, and in Europe in August 2008. In 1996, Namco packaged the original Dig Dug and an updated variant and released it in arcades with the title Namco Classic Collection Volume 2. The updated variant was named Dig Dug Arrangement and allowed two players to play simultaneously. Out of the six created arrangement games, this version has the least amount of changes. The graphics are updated and the sounds are, and the rounds are different. There are also now features such as giant rocks, which can fall down to the bottom of the screen, and special power-up items. A cell phone version was released in 2005 by Namco Networks, and also available for Palm OS, Windows Mobile devices, that is authentic to the arcade original in terms of graphics and controls, even though the levels are as they were in the NES version. Unlike the arcade version, there is no kill screen at level 256, but rather the levels go on past 500. In a cameo near and dear to my heart, Dig Dug was featured briefly in the X-Files episode Unusual Suspects. Dig Dug was parodied in the Robot Chicken episode President Evil and the Drawn Together episode The One Wherein There's a Big Twist Part 2. In the Disney movie Wreck-It Ralph, Dig Dug, a Puka, and a Figar are three of the characters in Game Central Station. The 8-Bit Central review starts out thusly. Another home conversion classic with a twist. Dig Dug looked like crap on the 2600. The lines that demarked the different underground layers look terrible compared to the synthesized dirt of the arcade version. The characters looked equally awful, although Puka and Figar are recognizable. And Square Rocks? WTF. But don't give up on it. They do like the audio, they think the gameplay is really good, and overall the Atari 2600 version is a lot of fun, requiring much the same skill and tactics as the arcade. He does sort of wish that uh, there were more variations of the game, like with Space Invaders, but chalk it up to a memory issue. Under tips, they note that if you're particularly good at Dig Dug, you can roll the score, much like an old Chevy's odometer, once it reaches 999,990 points. And the higher rounds stay close to the center screen to snag the veggies. They're worth more points than pumping up meanies. But you have to drop two rocks and destroy enough meanies to bring their screen population below seven. When being chased, remember you can move faster in a tunnel than when digging through the soil. Final judgment. Atari Dig Dug is awful looking, but once you get into the gameplay, its visual defects are replaced with pure 80s style fun. Later versions resolve the fugly graphics, but on the 2600 it's still a blast to play. I'll kind of go along with that. I... Don't think the game looks all that great either. The title screen is kind of cool. Uh, it reminds me of an arcade title screen. Dig Dug, the Dig Dug title on there, and the little uh, Dig Dug dude running across the screen. But the game itself, yeah, the, the, the Burger King color scheme, I referred to it in the field report, doesn't really do much for me. It doesn't really look like dirt. But uh, yeah, the game is fun. So, you know, I agree. 8-bit central. All right, let's get into it. After the break, and the word from on high was to dig... Doug, and so he did. Dig. Doug. You put the boom boom into my heart. You send my soul sky high when your loving starts. Dig Doug into my brain. Goes bang, 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 till my feet do the same. 
Wake me up before you go, go. Don't leave me hanging on like a yo-yo. <clears throat> As you work. So, Dick Dug is an interesting looking game. I don't quite know what to make of this. I just inflated a ghost thing to make it explode. And apparently I used my jet powered shovel to do it. Very confused. The little dragon dinosaur thing is cute. dropped a rock on uh, nothing because there wasn't anything following me. And I guess I finished the level? I'm not really sure how. by the dragon thing. The color scheme for this underground tunnel system is weird. It's like Burger King colors. And I just picked up the green thing? I don't know what that is. But yeah, sort of the burnt orange, yellow, brown color scheme thing reminds me of vintage Burger King. Get careless when you're fighting ghost friends. A little message from me to you. Swish. <laughs> oh, see, I got cocky. Don't get cocky, friends. Ooh, last little dig dug. That made my dig dug guy happy. I guess. the end of the game. Alright, my work is done. Back to you in the studio. Here's the thing about Dig Dug. I remember playing this one in the arcade, and liking it in the arcade, as a lot of people did. I wasn't gaga for it, I guess, but if it was there, I would play it. I never played it at home on the Atari until now, really. And I think I mentioned earlier, I, I like it. I don't think it looks all that great. Uh, I think it does suffer a bit in the aesthetics department. In, in translation from the uh, arcade to the home console, but that's not unusual with the games in this era. And I think it's fun enough. I think it is pretty repetitive. I do kind of wish, as the reviewer did, that there were more variations because it gets kind of old pretty fast. But it's fun enough to play in short bursts. I think it's one that I'll show my kid. Uh, Henry would like this one. So, you know, overall, I got no problems with this game. 
But I do, of course, wonder what's really going on inside the game. What makes Dig Dug Dig Dug? Why are Figar and Puka so obsessed with stopping him from digging? Why is there a dragon underground and no one is particularly concerned about it? Does it worry us that Figar and Puka can turn into ghosts, turn back to corporeal, and then into ghosts again, apparently at will? Is it disturbing at all that you kill your victims by pumping them up until they explode? That seems unnecessarily sadistic. So many questions. So what is going on here? Well, this is what I think. Doug sucked at everything. Or so everyone thought. Including him. Because society hates losers, he spent a lot of time alone. And that's when he discovered one thing that he was good at. Well, two. Actually, being alone and digging holes. He dug in the morning. He dug in the evening. Neighbors hated the flying dirt, and Doug got ticketed for digging up public parks more than once. He swiped the inboard motor from the lavender ski boat featured in the Wet Yourself Water Ski Team Show at the marina during depth charge days, and used it to create a jet-powered shovel. With it, he dug the most amazing mazes and dined on the finest vegetable prizes. That stupid shovel was loud as hell, but mostly people were just happy that Doug kept to himself. Eventually, though, Doug felt a little self-conscious about all this, especially the motor-powered, hot pink, pearl-lined shovel that emitted bubbles every time the scoop part hit the dirt. That maybe was going a bit far. So Doug decided that he needed a change. But what? As he sat pondering this, at the entrance to yet another tunnel, a 75 Trans Am screamed into view, tires squealing to a stop right in front of him. Two dudes in turtlenecks and tan leather coats rolled out, their feathered hair blowing in the breeze, and they were flashing their badges. The mustache one said, Dig, Doug. We need you to dig, Doug. Do you dig, Doug? Do you? Know what I'm saying? Uh, no. The one with the sideburns goes, Reefer, man. Makes him slow on the uptake. No, Doug said. Not reefer. Rutabaga. Rhubarb sometimes. Last year they had some purple tomatoes. They look kind of gross, though. Shut up, Mustache says. Okay, Doug agrees. Okay, Sideburn says, tossing aside his toothpick and putting his shades in his jacket pocket. He lifts a chain hanging around his neck, the glint of a gold police badge nicely offsetting the auburn highlights in his 1970s chest hair. City PD, he says. We're looking for Figar and Puka Ghost. You seen him? Who? Doug says evasively. Don't be coy, Doug. We know you know. Big counterfeiting operation. Fake gourmet vegetables clogging our streets like jewels on, on the Queen's crown. Ten carrots. Easy. Doug frowns at this. Do you mean carrots like crunchy veggies or carrots like ten carat diamonds? Mustache and sideburns exchanged looks. They had no idea, actually, but no way were they going to tell Doug that. Look, Sideburn says, do you know Figar and Puka or not? Maybe, Doug says. That was an understatement, actually. Figar and Puka had only been playing the I'm not touching you game with him throughout the length of his tunnels for years. The cops weren't buying it either. So here's what's going to happen, Mustache says. The DA says our jurisdiction doesn't extend to the tunnels below. Sideburn snorts at this and fishes out another toothpick. Rules, man. Rules are for suckers. Mustache rolls his eyes and continues. Dig, Doug. You're going to go down there, and you're going to drop one of your big old rocks on Puka and Figar and shut down their whole operation. Doug's blood runs cold. You... you know about the rocks? 
Mustache and sideburns nod in unison, arms crossed. You stop those two in their tracks? We'll forget about that boat motor lifted, too. Doug's eyes guiltily move to the bubbling pink tool of tunneling prowess. He can't lose his soulmate. All right, he says. I'll do it. We know, Mustache and Sideburn say in unison. Then they climb back into the Trans Am, hit the A-track, and Jive Talkin' by the Bee Gees plays the cops over the horizon. And so the chase began. Figar and Puga were caught, sentenced to two rocks to the head, and released. They continue to harass Doug, and he continues to tunnel. The motorized shovel tuned to a fine purr. The rest of the story has tunneled its way into history, faded into our memories like A-tracks and chest hair. You dig? And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are available at ataribytes.libsyn.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. You can find Atari Bytes on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all the usual places. Do please dig a tunnel over to iTunes, though, and leave us a review. Also remember to, just as importantly, maybe more importantly, uh, whack your friends over the head with a shovel to get them to listen to the show. Or, you know, maybe less extreme means. It's your call. And if anyone asks, I will deny that I said that thing that's recorded on a podcast. Word of mouth is just as crucial to iTunes reviews. So thank you for spreading the word. Like so much dirt from a dig dug dug tunnel. You can support the show financially on our Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com. And if you have time, check out my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Charlie Brown and Snoopy-related needs. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes, Phoenix. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.